You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Hello and welcome to episode 34 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at Marvel Comics, The Nom. I am your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around we continue to wind our way through 1968 with The Nom number 30, a story that takes place in July of 68. Our song this time out is Jumpin' Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones, a song that peaked at number 3 on the Billboard Hot 100 in July 1968, although it was a number 1 hit in the UK. Bunker Line came out on January 31st, 1989, with a May 1989 cover date, according to Mike's Amazing World. It is a cover by Ron Wagner and Andy Kubert that shows Ice peering through the hole in a bunker, holding his machine gun, all set behind barbed wire. Our creative team on the interior is Doug Murray, writer, Wayne Van Zant, penciler, Jeff Isherwood, inker, Phil Felix, letterer and colorist, Don Daly, editor, Larry Hama, consultant, Kelly Corvis, assistant editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor-in-chief. July 1968, a few clicks west of Saigon. The boys of the 23rd marched down a dirt road and were ordered to take five. They wonder aloud if the VC would try anything this close to Saigon, and almost as if on cue, one of them falls into a hole and stumbles across a tunnel and a weapons cache. As they call in for help to investigate their find, two VC soldiers whisper in the bushes, basically deciding that the weapons are more or less lost, and they need to follow orders and head back to the border. Back with the 23rd near Tain Nin, Ice and Pig are back from R&R and have apparently pulled bunker duty. They head to Roland's office and and an obviously inebriated Roland informs them about their bunker duty, telling them that Lieutenant Biggs will be joining them. Biggs is basically there to learn, and Ice gives him a guided lecture of how the duty works and informs him about how much patience bunker duty actually takes. Biggs then heads into the bunker and asks Martini how the claymores work. Ice heads over to see Pig and tells them that the new lieutenant is taking a watch to see what it was like. Pig said that's far out, and we cut back to Biggs and Martini. Martini finishes his instructions regarding the claymore, and Biggs wonders what he's gotten himself into. (laughs) Further down the bunker line, Ice checks in on a couple of other guys and catches Arlen, who's a bit fat, with a stash of candy bars. He leaves and heads back to Pig and notices that Ader is missing. Pig tries to cover for Ader, but it's obvious that he's AWOL with his girl back in the village, and Ice is going to have his butt. Two quiet and uneventful hours later, something trips a flare outside the bunker, and Biggs panics. He starts firing, and that means everyone else has to start firing, and sooner or later, they blow the claymores. Back at HQ, the captain gets a call about the chaos going on and heads over to the bunker. When he gets there, he manages to get everyone to stop firing. When the smoke clears, we see that what tripped the wire was a duck. They explain things to the captain, the rest of the guys laugh, and they were ordered to reset all the claim wars in the wire. The captain also says that the next time the lieutenant wants to open fire, he has to call first. <laughs> the guys work, get to work, and Big, Biggs asks Ice, next time I want to do something stupid, stop me, will you? Soon after dawn, everyone's working, and Ice calls Ader over, reaming him for going AWOL to see his girlfriend. Ader confesses that he loves his girlfriend and that he was back in time for duty. Ice reminds him that his duty is when he tells him it is, and that if he had been a real attack, he would have been a deserter. He then restricts Ader to the compound until further notice. 
At that moment, just outside the compound, two villages comment that the army has rebuilt the bunker, but that's nothing to worry about because nobody is there to string wires and bombs around town. Several hours later, back in the hooch, Ice wants to know where Ader is, and Pig mentions that Ader went back to the Ville right after they got back. After last issue's look at the larger world, we have a story on a smaller scale that is just as good as what we saw in uh, in previous issues. The storytelling and, and artwork are both tight, and there's some advancement of the plot, basically the one involving Ader, which we'll see more of next issue. We've seen Bunker Duty before, but here it seems to be played a little for laughs and also a little seriously as well. Not necessarily to show us some action, but to show us how a new character in Biggs reacts to certain moments of action. Once again, Doug Murray introduces a new character effectively. We've got a lieutenant who is not like some of the others we've seen. A Larnick, who is definitely the one we'll remember the most, at least up until this point, was definitely a wannabe glory hound, while Biggs is just nervous and panics at the sight of the tripped flare. But at least he owns his inexperience, or incompetence, and seems to be taking steps to ensure that the men in his charge are at least familiar with him. This definitely seems to get more respect than, say, what a Larnick would have done, even if he screws up completely. It also seems to help build up Ice's character, showing how he's one of the focuses of the book, and is clearly, I want to say, one of the heroes... In the very least, he's the guy that we want in charge. He's the main character in in a big sense. Roland's drinking continues, by the way, and Murray and Van Zant show this through one or two panels of him holding a bottle and looking like he's struggling to get up. It's not a huge thing, at least yet. I'm not sure what comes of this. Um, having read it ahead, I haven't seen anything of it, and I've read all the way up until about issue 41 or reread up until issue 41. So I'm trying to remember whether or not this actually does become an issue before uh, Doug Murray leaves the title, but he definitely seems to make sure that we know these characters are all flawed in some way or another. And I I like that about this. They're not, they're, they're grunts, but they're not generic soldiers. They all have personality and our artwork is once again great. It is a return to form after last issue. Isherwood on Van Zant is a great combination. I'm glad that they're taking care of stuff here. They can get everyone's emotions across really well, from Biggs' panic to the beads of sweat on Pig's face when he's caught covering for Ader, and even when Martini and Ice are laughing at Biggs' story about the duck, which was pretty funny when you think about it. Once again, this is another issue that serves as a great just little snapshot of of the war, or at least the experience within the war, and without it being too heavy. It's one of the things that I've loved about this particular stretch of, of the book, in that not everything is heavy all the time. I'm going to take a break, and when I get back, I'll have historical context, letters, and ads. <laughs> Coming in July 2014 to Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, a new epic mega-series. Trinus Magnus honors Superman, as only His Excellency Magnus can. Twelve episodes, all eras. An encomium of Superman comics, the oldest of the old, the newest of the new. A tasteful selection of everything in between. 
Plus, guest appearances from too many podcasters to count. The fun starts on July 22nd, 2014. Be there or kill yourself. Trennis Magnus punches reality. Only at twotruefreaks.com. At the opening of this issue, we see the boys walking by a billboard for Perlon Dental Cream. This is an actual toothpaste available in Vietnam. In fact, a quick search of the internet shows that it is still, and uh, Wayne Van Zandt even gets the logo correct. As far as July of 1968, we have several things. First, in July, Congress passes a 10% income tax surcharge to help with the cost of the war. On July 1st, General Westmoreland's tenure is formally over, and he is officially replaced by Creighton Abrams, who we talked about last episode. Also on July 1st is the launch of the Phoenix Program, which was the counterterrorism program designed to undermine and then take out the Viet Cong, whose numbers were estimated somewhere near 70,000. The program generates controversy because of supposed assassinations of supposed VT operatives. Most of this, of course, came through North Vietnamese propaganda, and the United States insists that it was simply part of the pacification process. On July 3rd, three American prisoners are released in Hanoi. On July 19th, President Johnson meets with South Vietnamese Thieu in Hawaii. And on July 26th, South Vietnamese opposition leader Tuan Dinh Zhu is sentenced to five years hard labor for advocating the formation of a coalition government as a way to move toward an end to the war. In coming this month, Doug starts off saying, Last issue, we promised to cover the Army Regimental setup in the Vietnam War. Here it is. Squad, smallest group in a combat unit, usually 5 to 12 men. Platoon, 4 to 8 squads. Company, 4 to 6 platoons. Battalion, a grouping of companies. Brigade, a grouping of battalions. Note, under CARS, Combat Arms Regimental System, a grouping in use in Vietnam, there were no fixed numbers of battalions, brigades, or other units in a regiment. Hence the difficulty explaining. This also made the TOW table of organization and equipment very different than it would have been in World War II. CARS made the army much more effective. Above the brigade for the completest came the regiment, the division, and finally the corps or the army. Believe it or not, this is a simplification, but I hope it helps. For our purposes, we deal with the 4-23rd, the 4th Battalion of the 23rd Infantry Brigade, which is attached to the 25th Infantry Division. Clear? Okay, now for some letters. Uh, John D. Wagner of L.A., California. Dear Marvel, as an amateur scholar of the Vietnam War and a dedicated reader of the Nam, I know that when issues number 24 and 25 dealt with Tet, they would give a home, some portrayal of what has been called the Hue Massacre. The, quote, official version that the communists used blacklists to systematically murder about 2,700 people who were then dumped into mass graves is very dubious. The number of victims, how they were killed, and by whom are all open questions to this day. For one thing, no independent journalists were allowed to view the exhumations. For another, the figure of 2,700 was based on fragrantly mistranslated documents that were suddenly discovered about a year and a half later. Also, the famous journalist Oriana Falacci 
wrote in a 1972 Washington Monthly issue that there was evidence of massacres by Saigon military and police right after the retaking of Hawaii. Photographer Philip Jones Griffith wrote in his book Vietnam Incorporated that most of the victims were, quote, killed by the most hysterical use of American firepower ever seen and then were, quote, designated as the victims of a communist massacre. I am not claiming the communists didn't kill anyone. In all probability, they did kill some people in Huey, but most likely this happened as discipline fell, fell apart while the city was being retaken. A number of scholars have addressed the subject of the mass graves, but the best analysis, in my opinion, is by... I think that's supposed to be... he. It's typed Nora Chomsky, but I think it's supposed to be Noam Chomsky. Um, and Edward S. Herman in their book, The Washington Connection in Third World Fascism. It seems that Huey's massacre is another example of how in war the truth is the first casualty. Doug replies, thanks for the comments, John. The mass grave was reported by literally dozens of American Marines involved in the Huey cleanup. Frankly, I would rather believe those on-site witnesses. It's possible that the researchers who wrote the books after the fact about our connection to the third world might have presupposed that the U.S. might support fascism. Of course, there's always room for doubt, especially in regard to the Vietnam War. There will always be mistrust and suspicion. Michael Bailey. No, it's not that Michael Bailey. B-A-L-E-Y of Royce City, Texas. <laughs> Asks uh, who Frank Verzel is, and, and Doug mentions that he's the tunnel rat from number eight. Buck Martinson asks, I don't understand military policy regarding injuries, movies, injuries, movies, TV, and comics all give conflicting info. For example, platoon, in Platoon, soldiers who were wounded twice were automatically shipped stateside. In another film, the troop with the shoulder... One was told, you got a good one, you're going home. Yet in the NAM, Sergeant Little was wounded four times before he was shipped out. Were there guidelines in this? Doug says, there were no hard and fast guidelines, Buck. Rather, they were set by individual regiments. The only casualty, certain, the only certainty was that if your injury incapacitated you or led to a long recuperative period, period you were sent home. Martin Simcox of Wordsley Storbridge, West Midlands, England, writes in, Your book works on many levels and can appeal to people who aren't normally comic readers. On a basic level, it is an entertaining piece of graphic literature, but deeper, it is a history of the war and helps us understand the ordinary men who fought there. I have one criticism of the NOM. I know that you have to strike a balance between the historical events of the war and the fictional characters you have created. However, I feel that in recent issues, the emphasis has been too much on events at the expense of character development. The result has been the emotional impact of earlier issues have been lost. I can only suggest that there be more pages per issue, more issues per year, perhaps an annual. This will give you the opportunity to restore the balance between history and well-developed characters with whom the reader can identify acting and reacting to that history. Anyway, thanks for listening and good luck with the future issues. Doug says, you're absolutely right, Martin. With my own anticipation of Tet, I have gotten too far away from the characters. I have, I hope, corrected this and will not make the same mistake in the future. Thanks for the kind words. Um, Doug then makes a couple of quick announcements. He says the Chicago Vietnam Museum is looking for artifacts and memorabilia to display. And uh, you can write care of uh, somebody in Hop Hog, New York. And he says, finally, also, America Cares campaign seeks volunteers to write to American military personnel stationed overseas. Anyone interested in writing to a real troop contact America Cares? I would include these um, these addresses, but uh, this comic book is 25 years old. I'm not sure if these are still current. 
Nam notes this month. Okay, troops, a lot of new ones this time, and a special thanks to Tom Savini. Yes, the movie makeup guy from Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, Part 1, Night Riders, Tales from the Dark Side and Creep Show for the Duck Story. Okay, that's awesome. So if you just didn't pick up on that, the Duck Story about somebody tripping, uh, the duck tripping the flare and somebody flipping out was provided to Doug Murray by Tom Savini, the famous horror movie makeup artist. That is really cool. All right, uh, here we go. AWOL, absent without leave. Brought some smoke, really laid down some heavy fire. Charles, of course, is VC or Charlie. A Chinese fire drill, exercise in which things do not go really well. CIB, Combat Infantry Badge, a decoration given after serving a set period of time in a combat zone. HQ, Headquarters, Clicks, Kilometers. R&R, Rest and Recreation, Break from the Action. Rock and Roll, Full Automatic Fire. Saigon Warrior. A slightly more polite term with the same meaning as REMF, the military equivalent of a backseat driver. Trip flare. Flare set off by a trip wire, usually as a warning device, and Zs, like in the comics, snoring, getting some sleep. Ads this month. Ooh, Blades of Steel, Double Dribble, and Track and Field 2 from Konami. I loved each of these games. They were awesome. Konami had some of the best Nintendo games, man. Uh, the graphics, were, I mean, they were 8-bit graphics, but these were like the high end of, of what you could do with 8-bit graphics. They were, they were almost 16-bit, and uh, these were fun, fun games to play. I should track these down on eBay. I'm sure I could find um, enough of them. We have the Bubble Bobble ad we've had for the last couple of issues, the same uh, Mario ad with the, uh, the handheld Nintendo game, The World of Fist... Fantasy Interactive Scenarios by Telephone, once again. Stan Lee is once again presenting us with those two videos, How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way and the X-Men Cartoon. We have two half-page ads. One's the Quick Shots for Hot Shots ad, and the bottom of that page is Wolverine coming at us with the comic book conventions scheduled by Great Eastern Conventions, which are going to be in Westbury, New York, Wayne, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Philadelphia Pennsylvania, New Brunswick, New Jersey, Worcester, Mass., Paramus, New Jersey, New York, New York, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and Springfield, New Jersey, as well as Boston, Massachusetts. We have a New England comics ad. A bunch of comics listed. Bullpen bulletins this month. More or less the same one as last month. So, really nothing new there. Ooh, we have a house ad. They are hunting the world's most deadliest game each other wolverine in the punisher war journal a test of will in two parts by carl potts and jim lee starting in february from marvel now granted this is before wolverine and the punisher were appearing in every single marvel comic out there and i'm sure that people like really really liked this but it's kind of makes me chuckle that by the time you hit about 93, it's like you you hit maximum saturation with uh, Wolf Wolverine and the Punisher. Marvel subscription and first time ever all comics mailed in clear protective poly bags. And we have an illustration of Spider-Man, Wolverine, and the Hulk stuck in a poly bag. And it should be noted that the Hulk is gray. And I think that was the Joe Fixit version of the Hulk. I'm not 
a big Hulk reader, so I don't know, but I think I've heard him refer to that as that. We have the same Campbell's Ruin Your Comic puzzle page in the back inside cover, and the back cover is an ad for a Schwinn BMX racing, pro BMX racing freestyle bicycles with a guy who's all muscular holding a Schwinn bike over upside down over his head. It's almost extreme. In fact, I'm looking at this. I know this is 89, I believe. I think we're not into 1990 yet. We were May of 89. And these ads, this ad actually looks, this ad's a little bit of ahead of its time because it looks a little bit 90s. Just the font, the way it's shot, this this looks like it could have been 90, 91, 92. So, um, and we'll, by the time the nom is over, uh, the ads definitely do change, although we still have vestiges of classic comic ads in there. I've been reading issues of um, Teen Titans from the mid-90s lately, and that's around the time you start to see uh, more of these sort of glossy ads and less of these kind of little random half-page ads and things like that in comics. So the hodgepodge ad will soon disappear from comic books forever, which is really, really sad. Anyway, I'll be back in a couple of weeks with issue 31 of the NOM. Uh, Thank you once again for listening, and take care. You have been listening to In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics, the NOM. The NOM and all of the comics associated with it are copyright Marvel Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and I make no money off of it, no infringement is intended. Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.